coming up on this week's Redcast. It, it took us 20 years to screw up reporting this bad. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are so many different strands to the complex quilt of, of data that is reported out to uh, regulators. It's very, very hard to rationalize now. But something like CDM becomes fundamental, and and and, fun, and once you start with a market or a series of markets, you can then start piecing it all back together again. I, I look at this as transparency 2.0. We, we didn't know what we didn't know about how to do this a decade ago. We now know what we're trying to get to. We're figuring it out, but it's going to probably take us to transparency 3.0, which I hope is a hell a hell of a lot less than a decade away. And and you know the key for me is is, is really making sure that. You know, we get the trade associations aligned with the standards bodies and the regulators. That that holy trinity, uh, you know, if we can get that balance right, we'll see this thing really take off and accelerate. And, and you know, in, in a matter of uh, two or three years, we'll be in an entirely different digital space. Once we build this once, we can reuse it multiple times because VAP, as PJ said right at the beginning, is the foundations. The foundations we never originally built. There was an assumption that we all worked off the same models in every firm. But actually, every firm was a walled garden, had its own way of identifying a product, its own way of publishing the product out beyond the trading systems into the back systems. We had we had a normalized data runs when we moved out into the market in certain areas, like, for example, in settlements at the CSDs. We had certain normalized things when we were looking for clearing because we were mandated to do that. In regulatory reporting, that one channel wasn't there. By, by centralizing the translation, you reduce the cost of implementation. So each firm, instead of having a, 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 um, a library of lawyers and analysts reviewing the text, we combine those into a single crowdsource. Okay? So every firm can reduce the number of headcount they put in there. So that's the first part. The second part is that we create a, a single view of the regulation. So when we will implement, we know that we are going to have a uniform response to the regulator. Everyone has trans translated the same way. It's often referred to as a, a, a common data model it's, um, when it's really a common domain model. And that's really an important distinction because the world is uh, replete with data standards, messaging formats. And that's actually not what the CDM is. Um, so it's really taking stock of the fact that there exist all those multiple messaging formats and, and data standards. And it's really trying to put a layer on top, a logical layer that says, this is how all those data are related to each other. This is how they are defined. And this is the logic that you can put on top of the data to infer potentially other data. So regulatory reporting is really a case in point because you're really taking data at the source, which is how uh, uh, firms would book uh, transactions right uh, through the life cycle and then you're trying to uh, project that into a view and a certain messaging format as required by such and such regulator not just revolutionary but it's going to be really disruptive as well um, in terms of really applying new technology to this complicated market I mean I don't think we can emphasize enough that Nothing like this has existed before in the derivatives uh, space and the amount of time and money that goes into just figuring out how to get to the point where you're going to start an implementation uh, 
then you have to do the implementation work and then go live with it, do rec go do quality assurance, and then you can still get a fine because it'll turn out that maybe you haven't been reporting what you're supposed to report. So, so the business has to be bought in digital and they have to bring all the key vendors that they're using. You know, all the trading systems that, that people are using the derivatives need to get involved. You know, all of the all of the data feeds and all the markets that they're using need need to get involved. You know, all, all the way down to the like the you know the, the services layer of let, let me help you with your testing or or, or let, let me let me help you figure out how you interpret and maintain your set of business requirements from the consultancy so legal consultants uh, you know all the people that run these other uh, you know testing platforms they all need to figure out a way they want to engage and you can't tell them they have to get engaged now but i think they're crazy and they're missing out if they don't if you're touching data and operations within derivatives you want to pay attention to this project. You, you, you don't want to like say, I'll, I'll check in a year and a half from now, see see what's happening. So, you know, even if you're just doing standards, right? And you're looking at technically how, how am I supposed to, like Dowd says, get from get from text to disambiguated definitions and glossaries. If, if data is your thing, pay attention. Welcome to Redcast. 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 Where we shine a light on banking digitization. Welcome to Regcast, shining a light on the regulatory change and how financial services address it. Today's episode is a little different with PJ, JWG's chief executive, in the hot seat answering questions alongside Dowd Hark, Deutsche Bank's global lead for regulatory market initiatives, transformation, and strategy, and Leo Lebeus, chief executive at Regnosis. I'm Rachel Wolcott, senior editor at Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence, asking questions about the Global Derivatives Digital Regulatory Reporting Project. The work on DRR started about three years ago as, as a tech sprint that was supposed to probe the idea that regulatory reporting rules can be transformed into machine executable code, which is hard, but it's only part of the work. What has changed between November 2017 and today is recognition by firms and regulators that data standards, the what is being reported, are critical and require work to deliver high quality data that can be used to gain insights into systemic risks. They've provided some help here with CPMI IOSCO delivering critical data elements and OTC derivatives reporting standards. But today we also have the common domain model which describes a common digital representation of derivatives, trade events, and processes. Another big change is the willingness of financial services firms to collaborate and agree on mutual interpretation of rules and funding that work to digitize those rules as code. Even more work is being done to fit this work in with trades, booking systems, so let's talk about this groundbreaking collaborative effort to get derivatives trade reporting right. What's it all about and why should firms get involved if they aren't already? So PJ, what's the problem that we're addressing with DRR? I, I, I love your TF, Rachel. Thank you for all that. And I think it gives a very good view of what's happening now, but let me, let me step back a bit because we've been looking at this problem since 2009. And, and, and I think when JWG saw the Pittsburgh summit coming together in, in prescribing transparency as the solution to the financial crisis, 
we said, hold on, wait a minute. There's not the time to actually pull together a, a common framework for the data you're looking for. And, you know, the, the, we looked at it hard and our, our dirty windows paper sort of uh, predicted that this would happen. But we had a big knee jerk from the industry where we didn't really focus enough on all of the foundational uh, standards that we needed to define much more than just a data point. What, what information were people looking for? Um, so we, we've wound up in a, in a with big data quality problem in this industry, and, and it, it's it's really really expensive and really really painful. I mean, there are a lot of people day in and day out. They get subjected to literally thousands of pages of text trying to work out what they mean and make the changes to hundreds of systems and databases across the globe. Um, and, and some serious fines have materialized. We're talking hundreds of millions. Um, and so ultimately. You know, right here, right now, the problem, as I like to define it, is, is that, you know, we finally have the tooling right, and we, we've proven we, there's a better approach, and we're trying to implement it. And the first place we're trying to implement it is, is here at the Global Derivatives Program, just because the, the timing is really lined up nicely with the CPMI, OSCO efforts that Dowd and, and so many other people have been involved in. And you've got the Amir refit uh, ready to be addressed. And it also uh, fits nicely in with some of the other initiatives that have been going on at the same time. Okay, so in terms of um, the business case and the value prop proposition, Dowd, what 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 is why do firms like this? The firms that are involved, where where do they see the value? There's a few things there. So if we first go back to what PJ said, Rachel, in terms of the, at the moment, it, it's a, a distributed model for compliance. Every firm picks up the regulation, reads it individually, and translates that into uh, requirements individually, and then implements it individually in their own firms. Um, this has led to uh, very, very disparate uh, um, models of, of data, which are then presented to the regulator. So they can't see the wood for the trees. They're, they're combining apples and oranges. Um, and what they think they've got is, is a simple vanilla uh, um, view of, of systemic risk. And what they're actually looking at is a fruit yeah. salad. Uh, so what we're looking to do here is we're looking to create a single point of, of translation, um, which is going to be within the CPA. And this is getting away from the gar uh, garbage in, gospel out uh, situation that PJ highlighted in his Dirty Windows paper, neatly uh, called GIGO. <laughs> so I think the value proposition is that this is good. There's two things in the value prop there. So. So firstly, there, by, by centralizing the translation, you reduce the cost of implementation. So each firm, instead of having a, 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 um, a library of lawyers and analysts reviewing the text, we combine those into a single crowdsource, okay? So every firm can reduce the number of headcount they put in there. So that's the first part. The second part is that we create a, a single view of the regulation. So when we will implement, we know that we are going to have a uniform response to the regulator. Everyone has trans translated the, right, the same way. And there is still a, an element. So we need to step back at the moment because the CDM isn't just a model for the creation of the regulation. 
Some firms are looking to implement them internally and that will then produce the output. Other firms will be looking to take the outputs from the CDM, which is in a walled garden, and then bring that internally and then implement that based on their own internal systems. So there is some risk. There will be uh, um, some inherent risk with the firms that are bringing in the outputs because when they do the implementation, it may not look exactly the same as the version, which is which will be created directly from the CDM itself. But I would argue there that at least we have transparency on the differences because we will be able to see them versus the, the, the golden record version, which will be the CDM itself. And we can choose where we want to diverge from that model ourselves because maybe we have a different internal architecture or we view certain products in a different way from another firm. So it gives us that flexibility. Now, beyond that, what, is the, what else is the business case? So if we have a uniform uh, approach to how we deliver data into the regulator, then we also then have a uniformity in compliance. So if I'm wrong, the whole industry is wrong. And that way, we are going to work directly with the regulators as a CDM group who are going to then help, they're going to help guide us on how we implement their rules. So we should have less regulatory breaks in our in our which which every firm wants so that's the business case and it'll also uh, help with the all the reconciliations that have to go on you know in this case inside of the uh trade repositories and there should be very few breaks yeah it'll be a huge improvement because the reconciliation uh rates i think in pre-brexit were the pairing and matching rates were pretty uh, poor for Amir. So PJ, tell us a little bit about how this is set up. Uh, who, who's involved? Who's in charge? Well, it, it's, it's probably one of the most complex programs I've ever been a part of. And it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to run, but often, often a bit of a challenge. So we have uh, a number of different types of stakeholders. We have, we have regulators that that want to observe what's going on, but don't want to really commit too much to the output that's there until we're actually able to produce something. Uh, <clears throat> we have the um, uh, the firms, the big sell side firms that are all trying to work out how they how they can get to this mutualized in interpretation. We have the buy side firms, which are also then relying upon the sell side firms because they delegate a lot to them, um, but they also have their own quirks in terms of how they need to think about this. And then we have all the trade associations. Uh, and, and, and in each one of the trade associations, there tends to be a little bit of interpretation by product. So, for example, here in Europe, we have uh, the FIA, which owns their um, exchange traded derivatives, which is the not but needs to then kind of link to the model used by ISDA. So obviously we have the Investment Association, we have a FAMA, we have uh, uh, the BVI and the continent. And so there's a there's a plethora of, of different opinions that we're trying to bring to one space. So the way we've organized is through a, a series of committees and then working groups. So we have governance oversight committees that meet roughly once a, once every month or six weeks. They set the pace in the project and set the objectives and, and agree the architecture. But the real work's being done by the the, the team of digitizers, and and that and that's where uh, the the Regnosis folks are so critical to helping everybody pull this together. That's where we're getting the, 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 the reg SMEs that can also have a technical bent to them, putting their best practices directly into code. So we have a one common model that is work backwards from real test cases, so real live trade scenarios, 
so that you can actually model and say, how do you want these different uh, outcomes to be achieved that are specified in the regulation? So there's a lot of moving parts there, but obviously the, the part that's most important, the most the fundamental for scaling of this is to get the vendors involved. So we can't, none of this works if we don't have all the trade repositories and all the, all the guys that are, are producing uh, uh, trades and transactions in their own systems, understanding how to map this all in. So they are a critical part to this as well. And so in total, you know, we're, we're going to have, um, in terms of digitizers, by, by the time we hit mid-May, we'll, we'll be at a couple dozen people digitizing from uh, over 12 to 15 different organizations. Um, and it's just a phenomenal effort. But I, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't let Leo comment a bit of what it feels like from his perspective. Yeah, and tell us all about the, the, what's at the core of this project, which is the CDM model that you at Regnosis uh, developed initially, I think, was it almost two years ago now? I mean, time flies when you're having fun, right? And so tell us about the CDM, what it is, and the role it plays in reporting, which is what we're trying to make, make a lot easier for firms here. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> let me let me start by just saying a few words about uh, about our, our firms and how we are we are tied to the, the common domain models. How how we got there. Um, so we are on a very simple mission. Uh, we started uh, about five years ago, um, saying we want to transform the relationship between uh, financial firms and their regulators, uh, and in particular with a focus on uh, regulatory reporting. So really what we want to do is we want to digitize the, the global framework for collecting, reporting and collecting regulatory data. And straight from the start, um, you know, we uh, knew that we needed to leverage uh, the open source. So what that means in practice is uh, to help the industry on that journey, we identified that we needed to develop uh, common models uh, that were uh, representative of the industry processes on top of which regulatory reporting can be uh, bolted on. And right at the time when we started uh, that, uh, that journey, <coughs> ISDA uh, made a like, public statement saying they wanted to develop a, a common domain model for the derivatives industry. Uh, so that was like the first use case and we started to work uh, as ISDA's partner uh, to, to develop the common domain model since, so it's been three years now. Uh, we started in, uh, in early 2018. So what's really important to, to understand, uh, which has been um, alluded to uh, just earlier, is the common domain model is that digital blueprint. Uh, it's a trade processing model for, how, um, for, for the entire transaction life cycle. It started with derivatives. That was the first use case. It's now being expanded into uh, other territories of, of capital markets, uh, bonds, repos, securities lending. Uh, so derivatives was, was really the, the, the first use case. But um, what's, what's important is that it's not a regulatory model. That, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that um, it's often referred to as a, a, a common data model. It's um, when it's really a common domain model. And that's really an important distinction because the world is uh, replete with data standards, messaging format. And that's actually not what the CDM is. Um, so it's really taking stock of the fact that there exist all those multiple messaging formats and, and data standards. And it's really trying to put a layer on top 
a logical layer that says, this is how all those data are related to each other. This is how they are defined. And this is the logic that you can put on top of the data to infer potentially other data. So regulatory reporting is really a case in point because you're really taking data at the source, which is how uh, uh, firms would book uh, transactions, right? Uh, through the life cycle. And then you're trying to uh, project that into a view and a certain messaging format as required by such and such regulator. And the common domain model allows you to do that. It effectively um, allows you to have the logic on top of the data that allows you to do the entire process. So it's really trying to go beyond um, messaging formats and, and data standards and really to have a, a logical model uh, that is able to tie everything together. Yeah, exactly. It's putting almost making a digital, like you say, a blueprint of how, the, uh, how these various markets are working and not just thinking about the different uh, data points in isolation. Um, so in terms of what the uh, global derivatives DRR is doing now, um, let's talk. Let's talk through the process of what's on, what's happening in 2021. I mean, it's April already. Uh, DJ PJ mentioned the digitization hit squad. Um, can, why don't you tell us a little more about what they're doing? Sure. So I guess you know that this whole thing really came together in in, in December when we looked at uh, what ESMA had published for Amir Refert versus what the SEC and the CFTC plans were and. We saw the critical point of alignment between the because all their dates are rel relatively the same or a quarter or so different in 2022. Um, but we saw them all lining up around this standard ISO message, this off 30 that, that mentioned. Um, it, but the, the, the key there wasn't the actual message. It was, was the ability to tie it back to the, the definitions in those in the that, that need to be uh, at the base of any reporting out to the trade repositories or, or uh, uh, SDRs. So ultimately, that gave us the idea of, of taking the fields that were commonly defined and aligned across the Atlantic and starting with the modeling of how do they actually produce those fields. So a time, if a timestamp is, is one of the 52 fields, it's exactly the same. Let's dig into how we get that timestamp off of an actual transaction and put it in the, in the proper format. And we've, we've started there with the common fields. We focused first on FX, after having done a pilot last year on, on FX for Amir, the original Amir. Um, and then we're rolling it out by asset class. So the goal is by the end of the year, we've got all of the asset classes modeled against this uh, for, for Amir refit and, and, and as much of a chunk of CFTC as we can get. And, and that, that will obviously then take care of all the common data elements that are global, there's 110 of those, but then it's the 170 odd or 200 odd per jurisdiction that roll out. So effectively what you get is then one master golden source of all the requirements that maps to a agreed set of meanings and a glossary for how those, how those elements have been applied. Uh, and then the digital best practices as, as, as Leo described. And then, and, and as he talked about that, I thought about it as a house. Right, so you have multiple floors of a building. Data is data somewhere in the in the, in the one of the bottom floors. We got to connect it up to the very top to say, okay, this is how the business process aligns to be able to get that data out across all the houses and have it make sense when it shows up at the regulator's doorstep. Right. 
So Dowd, could you tell us a little more about some of the new um, tools that you have at your disposal now in terms of making this project work? Um, I mentioned the critical data elements and there are some other uh, things coming from, uh, yeah. from CPMI IOSCO. Well, there's, I mean, the, the catalyzing, work this, that was catalyzing this project. Sorry, go ahead. The work that was originally um, asked for was by the FSB. They charged CPMI OSCO with creating a harmonized uh, reporting standard globally. The recommendations that came out of the CPMI OSCO GOOG, no, it was a harmonization working group that went to the FSB GOOG were for three sets of data elements. Firstly, a global UTI, UTI being unique transaction identifier. Now, a UTI already existed in EMEA, uh, a form of UTI already existed in um, um, ASIC. Uh, in the US, they had a USI, unique uh, swap identifier, uh, which was the same in Canada. So there was different standards all over the world for how, for a, a, a single identifier, reference identifier that you'd stick on every trade. Now, if you were to report the same trade cross borders in more than one jurisdiction, in the past, we would use different identifiers for each jurisdiction. So when the regulators look to create a joined up view of systemic risk globally across borders, they would double count, triple count trades because they couldn't, they couldn't discount any because there was no, there was no persisting value across all of them, which was unique. So the implementation of the UTI was key. That's created some barriers for us globally though, because now we're dependent on the first jurisdiction we have to report in to make that trade. If we move on to the other areas, UPI, unique product identifier, this is a brand new uh, taxonomy for the identification of the product you trade. Okay, so I'm on that committee at ISO who's building that. I was originally in the FSB group and the and CP Moscow group. So I've traveled with this all the way through. So you can blame me when it doesn't work at the end we of will. the day. But th there was, <laughs> I, I know I will be blamed, but there was a, you know, there was a, uh, behind all of this is, is, is a goodwill from the regulators and the regulated to create a, a harmonized approach globally where we can create a true transparent layer into our, into our trading, which gives the regulator a good view of what risks we're taking. We don't want those risks to be overemphasized because they're double counting trades, right? Because then they'll tell us to, to stop trading or to reduce our, our, our capacity. So it's in our interests as well as regulators. So thirdly, it, uh, as PJ said, the CDE, the Critical Data Element Data Dictionary, it should be CDEDD. -D -D. Anyway, so we, we um, what we've ended up with there is 110 fields. Uh, we have a very descriptive description of that field. The those that CDE was distributed across the 18 countries who signed up to it originally, but there are actually 50 who may actually adopt it in the long run. Uh, we know within those 18, we have a time scale uh, in which they need to be implemented into their transparency reporting. We also know that the first mover is going to be EMEA. The SEC has a form of the um, CDE in it, which goes live in November this year, but it's not the full the full blown event. The first main implementation is going to be uh, uh, possibly the CFTC, which goes live in June of 2022, 
followed by a mere free refit in, in March, April time of 23. Uh, we will also see ASIC, uh, GFSA, MASS, um, and HKMA go live. So they're the really big hub jurisdictions with this common model for reporting. That's where the CDM comes into its own um, because once we build this once, we can reuse it multiple times because VAP, as PJ said right at the beginning, is the foundations. The foundations we never originally built. There was an assumption that we all worked off the same models in every firm, but actually every firm was a walled garden, had its own way of identifying a product, its own way of publishing the product out beyond the trading systems into the back systems. We had we had a normalized data runs when we moved out into the market in certain areas, like for example, in settlements at the CSDs, we had certain normalized things when we were looking for clearing because we were mandated to do that. In regulatory reporting, that one channel wasn't there. The CDM will be that one channel for all of us, okay? And that's what we want to do. The question is how we implement that. Do we bring in CDM into the bank and into the into the buy side or do we take the outputs from the cdm and translate those into our own systems internally but hopefully eventually we'll all coalesce around this and there will be much less outliers for us to then look to investigate right but in the kind of medium term uh at the end of the process that started in december uh 2020 we're going to have a a test pack for firms to use right and uh, use it for the uh, Amir refit rollout. So Leo, can you tell us a little bit about the, how the tech, what the test pack is gonna be and how the CDM uh, works in, in, in that test pack? Yeah, it's a really important uh, point in terms of how the output of that work is, is being distributed. So, um, uh, you know, looking back, you know, from 2009, um, you know, the explosion in requirements has effectively led to um, um, the, the, the creation and growth of a vast regulatory technology market, right, which is effectively uh, a set of, of technology vendors coming in and effectively packaging up the interpretation of the, the rules and effectively, you know, selling that um, as, uh, as a solution. Uh, to every individual firm. And that has led to a lot of duplication of the work because those firms are also uh, running with their, uh, their own interpretation and checking the one that you know, their vendors may have. And mm -hmm. that same work also happens with the trade association, right? So we really uh, came up with, with um, the, the, the concept that we really need a platform in the true sense of the terms where the uh, producers of, of content which is the rule interpretation, as well as the synthetic test data uh, that, um, uh, that illustrate those rules. And, and you have end users effectively able to consume this output. And in fact, the producers and the end users may effectively be the, be the same in, in a phenomenon of, of crowdsourcing. Uh, so effectively, it's the firms themselves using the platform both as producer to put in content and to retrieve it uh, as a way to, to drive their own um, implementation. And uh, what's really key is, and, and what's really different in uh, the, compared to the current market structure that we have, is that the, the, uh, out of the interpretation that the producers of the content, the firms, will be putting in, 
you would directly extract executable code in any number of, of executable uh, programming languages um, that is open source and directly usable into any implementation. That implementation may be fully in-house, i.e., you know, Dowd and, and Deutsche Bank may choose to take that code and then implement their own uh, reporting engine on the back of it. Or mm -hmm. you could have an ecosystem of vendors who would be using that open source code in their implementation and then providing that as a service uh, to those, those firms. But at least a big part of the interpretation work is being crowdsourced through a platform uh, as opposed to being you know, done in, in, in isolation, isolation. The test pack is really an important part of uh, what gets distributed because it's, you have a sort of duality between the interpretation and effectively the logic that allows you to go from X, the way the transactions are represented, going to Y, the way regulators expect to see it, um, and functionally how you go from X to Y. Um, so th those are how you, you code the logic. But the other part is how do you get a sample, a set of synthetic transactions uh, for the X that are representative of all the potential permutation that may happen uh, in that market, you know, types of products, type of execution, who is involved, is there a broker, da 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 da, da. what are the jurisdictions of, of the various entities. Um, all those permutations going through the rule, telling you what the output is, and it means it's, a, it's an extra uh, helper that firms can use in their own implementation because it, it comes with not just the logic sort of dry you know, for you to implement, but actually a set of, of uh, test scenarios, uh, a test pack to eff effectively uh, ensure uh, and, and illustrate what that interpretation is supposed to do sort of in the real world, right? So, that so is, that's that a lot of the hard work right yeah. there. I mean, that that is tough. And uh, that also helps, uh, I'll get to you in a second doubt because you might want to pick up on this, is when uh, you have new products, new kinds of trading coming in, that's often when mistakes happen in reporting. So you know, to have this test pack that can help you understand what you're doing and how it needs to be reported that'll be huge that's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of guesswork out of it um, you know maybe this is good maybe it's not uh, should, what should we do you know maybe you can't get someone on the phone to help you at the regulator you know on a specific specific trade by trade basis anyway Dowd, what what did you want to say about that so a few things there so this test pack for me is the most important output from this program. There's several reasons why I believe that's the case. Firstly, something that when we, I mean, I've been on this digital journey across multiple initiatives for a very long time now, uh, years and years, the, the thing that many uh, participants in these initiatives forget is that it's, it's made up of firms of many different levels of sophistication, okay? Uh, if we look at the FCA alone, they, uh, they regulate over 10,000 institutions um, themselves who have to do reporting to them. Now, they can be a one-person shop all the way through to an investment bank. And you have to create something which is usable by all. If they have to do a report to a regulator, they need to be able to pick this up and use it. Because in a dual-sided reporting regime like EMEA, it's no 
it, it, there's, it, there's a, only a small amount of value if I'm right and my counterparty who's a one person shop is wrong because there is still a break on the report which I have to investigate. So there's an additional cost and there's also a, 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 um, a lack of cleanse, um, um, clean data for the regulator to view. So we need something that's consumable by all people doing any type of activity. And that's what this the, the test pack will provide to them. It's a bit like a holy grail in a way. It's a golden record source that we can always revert back to and use and say, you know, this is the standard, the gold standard that we always want you to adhere to. Now, it, you know, and, and, and make it as simple as possible for them to implement. So that's why I think that this, this, this particular test pack is going to be revolutionary. When yeah, it's I think not just revolutionary, but it's going to be really disruptive as well um, in terms of really applying uh, so new technology to, to this really complica complicated market. I mean, I don't think we can emphasize enough that nothing like this has existed before in the derivatives uh, space and the amount of time and money that goes into just figuring out how to get to the point where you're going to start an implementation. Uh, then you have to do the implementation work and then go live with it, do, rec you know, do quality assurance, and then you can still get a fine because it'll turn out that maybe you haven't been reporting what you're supposed to report, all the trades, or you've uh, reported too many. I mean, there's just, because it's so complicated, there's so many pitfalls. And uh, I agree. I think interestingly enough, you, you were right there with the digital. So we've gone into this new universe of, of very complex new processing and, and, and ways of doing work to which Leo's firm is, is on the bleeding yeah. edge of. But what we're asking to do is to do that work in, in this you know, future universe, but then bring it back to analog by creating a test pack because in, in either uh, an Excel document, it'll probably be right, because not many of us have taken that journey yeah. yet. And in order for all of us to move up, we all need to be, uh, it needs to be available to all of us. So that's why we're, we're asking for this analog version of his new world in the test. There, there is another, if, if you allow me to, to interject, there is another um, uh, sort of implicit benefit of looking at it with the lens of a test pack, which is when we talk about interpretation and you have all these different firms around the table, it's easy to get bogged down into uh, uh, legal considerations. By bringing it down in the real world into a test pack, we shift, there is a mental shift between being legal to being operational. And that simple mental shift means that it's, it becomes easier, even though we are talking about the same thing, but it becomes easier to get everybody to agree once you see like actual data and fields and how it gets, it gets reported as opposed to you know, keeping it in the legal interpretation where oh, things could be interpreted this way or that way, it becomes much easier uh, because you, 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 you have that mental shift of thinking operationally. Um, and that is also sort of a, a sort of implicit benefit that we get by focusing on, on what Dowd called the, the analog world. But again, you know, can't stress enough how useful and important that is. Yeah, getting this common interpretation and mutualizing that interpretation, it, it, it sounds really easy just to say it, but it, it, that's going to be another really difficult uh, part of this whole process.
and that it's something that is going to have a huge amount of benefit to everybody. Uh, not also because it just shows you a way of doing things in the future on other on other uh, reporting projects. And I think just showing that this project is achievable is is going to be a huge thing on its own. It's, it's going to be fantastic. And I think I used the word disruptive before. I think it really will be disruptive. Dowd used the word revolutionary. You know, for people who are at the coal phase doing this reporting day in and day out, if it all goes to plan, this is going to make life, make life a lot different for, for them. I, I think Jed really early on though, as well, needs to be re-emphasized here as well within that revolutionary view is that it's the collaboration between the That's firms, also revolutionary. And also, but the collaboration with the regulators, yep. getting the regulators mm -hmm. in the room, they don't, they're not, they're, they're obviously reticent to explicitly talk about, yes, this is the right field and the right value because it's out of context. It's, you know, and everything, as you said, right at the start, actually data doesn't sit in isolation. It's, it sits in a scenario. And so just saying this data point is correct on this, on this spreadsheet doesn't really mean a great deal. You have to look at the context of how the trade was executed, who was in the trade, what platforms were used, what is the product, but having them in there and getting some regulatory steer gives this program a unique step forward compared to anything that we've worked on the trade association side in the past. Um, and I think the regulators are starting to see the, the how, how difficult it is to move from a, 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 a Word document of 200 pages into a set of obligations, into a set of requirements, into an implementation, and how many steps that involves and how much could go wrong in that process. Which is, is enlightening to them as well. In that, I think, and I think that's the we're all learning here together. And I think the fascinating thing from my perspective, just being the safe space where it all happens, is you know, it, there's there's very little against people's interests by doing this in, in a digital fashion. The, the only real people who lose out from this are the ones that don't adopt. You know, it's that Cambrian explosion thing where at a certain point everybody's going to be doing it this way, and if you're left doing it the old way, then you're an outlier and, and you, you don't do so well. But I think that's the, you know, going back to that house analogy, the walled garden, if, if you're trying to shoot data out in a, in a common way, you have to start at the top. And so, and so the business has to be bought in digital and they have to bring all the key vendors that they're using, you know, all the trading systems that, that people are using for derivatives need to get involved. You know, all of the, all of the data feeds and all the markets that they're using need, need to get involved, you know, all, all the way down to the, like the, you know, the, the services layer of let, let me help you with your testing or, or, or let, let, me, let me help you figure out how you interpret and maintain your set of business requirements from the consultancy. So legal consultants, uh, you know, all the people that run these other, uh, you know, testing platforms, they all need to figure out a way they want to engage. And you can't tell them they have to get engaged now, but I think they're crazy and they're missing out if they don't. And, that, and that's the real benefit. You be there now at the beginning when you're formulating all that gives you the ability to play to the new reality, which is only 18 to 24 months away. And then that, that's, that's the huge opportunity here for, for jumping in. I would say as well, I will, I will add to that, is we, we've created a governance structure which has different layers and, and people can participate at different layers in this, right? So there's a lot of firms who won't have the, the resources 
to, to, to bring anything to the table while we're doing this interpretation work, but they'd like to review it and they'd like to provide feedback. So that's why PJ has all of the trade associations in the room as well. And all of the outputs that Leo's team produce will be going to those trade associations for evaluation and review. So we, this project will live and die through implementation and adoption by the market. Uh, the, a few large IBs working together and building something for ourselves won't solve the problem. What we need is once we um, create this, we need to send it out there, get people to review it and get them to adopt it. And then, and then we'll be in a new world. So uh, PJ, you touched a little bit on uh, getting more people around the table. Uh, you mentioned people on the interpretation side, on the uh, uh, quality assurance and testing testing side. Did you have any other um, people that you wanted to make an appeal to in that regard? Yeah, look, it, 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 you know, there, there's any, any, if you're touching data and operations within derivatives, you want to pay attention to this project. You, you, you don't want to like say, yeah, I'll, I'll check in a year and a half from now, see, see what's happening. So, you know, even if you're just doing standards, right, and you're looking at technically how, how am I supposed to, like Dowd says, get from, get from text to disambiguated definitions into glossaries. If, if data is your thing, pay attention. You know, if, if it's if it's uh, SPVR, you know, get involved. You know, it's, it's the, the, these kind of things are are really fundamental to how the industry will be working two years from now. And, and you don't want to miss out. You, you want you want to be at the you want to be at this table. You can get the training. You can review the videos. You can just sit there and listen to the debates. But you know, by being there, you're you're going to understand what what life's going to be like after the Cambrian explosion. Sure. Why don't you tell people what SBVR is really briefly in case they don't know? SBVR is a, uh, a, 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 a about the language uh, to get uh, machines to understand human text, right? So it's semantic business vocabulary. And what, it, what it's all about is uh, identifying the concepts within a sentence, the clauses that matter and help influence all the decision making, which is what all of this argument gets back to is semantic. People not being on the same page. And yes, there's a whole big effort to, to look at that within ISO. There's other efforts within uh, with the TC68. There's other efforts within ISO. There's other efforts outside ISO. It's one of the big problems for AI generally today. And But what we're, we're here at the nub of it and really on the front line across many different sectors, uh, trying to work out how you take very complicated rules that don't really give you that context and nail down what you have to do. So there's that there's a lot, of, lot to glue together here. Yeah, this there are a lot of moving pieces and it you know, talking about digital regulatory reporting uh, makes it sound like it's a, you know, a fully digital uh, process that's happening, but you know, there's a lot of uh, human brain power going into this. Uh, I would say almost exclusively at this point, uh, it's, you know, it's really interesting. And the, the point on the SFB, uh, SBVR is that this will be another place where uh, firms may be looking at MIFID uh, or MIFIR uh, transaction reporting and all the different kinds of reporting. And those regimes will be able to look at a version of the CDM, use the 
um, SBVR techniques to uh, translate these, you know, the human language, you know, break down the semantics there and make it into a commonly agreed code that's going to be, you know, this is another reason why this project is so interesting and so important because it shows, like Leo likes to say, you know, what, what are the possibilities here? What are we going to be um, seeing? Okay, so just to close it out, you know, on that theme of uh, looking forward, I think I've set out my uh, cart in, in that, in views on that. It, it, this is going to be opening up a big new world for uh, firms in, in these reporting tasks that they have to do, which are complicated and involved. I think one thing we haven't touched on is you know, billions of trades a year. Uh, so, uh, Dowd, why don't you uh, tell us about how you see this project blossoming into other uh, regulatory reporting applications or wherever you see this potentially going in uh, post? So, good question. The, the problem is, right, so what we've built so far, I mean, this is, this is interesting, goes back to Leo's point about domain versus data. So we have, I, I think of things in a very simplistic manner and, I, and so, um, which makes it real for me. So I look at it as skins. So we have a, we have um, what Leo's team has built is basically a trade uh, processing and lifecycle management uh, system and they're overlaying that with a set of logic which we would use in regulatory reporting so that the output shows that. Now, that's for OTC derivative transparency, okay, under systemic risk. What we can adopt that, adapt that to is MMSR and SMMD, which is, and all of the other regulations around providing money market trading reports to central banks so that we could do some work around uh, IBOR uh, and the risk-free rates more importantly, and, and because banks now have to provide real life data or trades that underlie trading activity within a certain currency so that the regulators or the administrators of the benchmarks, let's be more specific, can generate the, the risk-free rate for, for a particular day. So we would like to extend the model into that. We'd also like to extend the model into, as, as Leo's already talked about, uh, we've got something in SFTR, Security Finance Transaction Regulation, right? Uh, which again, we'd like to use it in that for the next iteration of that. We also would like to use it in some of our equities reporting, for example, CAT, uh, Consolidated Audit Trail in America, right? Because a lot of the, um, if they're already modeling the securities trade flow and lifecycle events upon them, and we can overlay that with the logic which would be used for reporting uh, logic and standards which are used to report those trades under CAT, then it can produce the same outputs that we're wanting for the OTC regulatory market. There, there is no real um, end point to that. If, if we can model it within the CDM and we can provide the external, the externalities which are used like the standards, anything can be, can be there is no limit to this except for our imaginations. So, we, but Leo really would be able to provide a, 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 a more informed view of where he wants to take. Yeah, Leo. 
Yeah, well, in a sense, like that is, is too kind because we are not the ones who actually developed that, that model. Like very humbly, what, what we did provide is just the platform uh, that allowed the industry to do that. Uh, and that's really the, the, the key paradigm shift. You know, it's not, you know, uh, a vendor or, you know, any professional services firms or, or whoever coming in and feeding the industry with something that, that's ready-made. It's actually, you know, that, that platform concept where the industry gets what they put into. Um, so in that sense, uh, you know, the, 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 as Dowd said, the possibilities are, are endless. Uh, yes, it started with derivatives. Now we are look, um, other um, parts of capital markets uh, are joining in, um, and we are we are having conversations uh, to even go beyond just just capital markets and and other areas of, of financial services. Uh, and reporting is touches many like all financial services uh, in some way, shape, or form are subject to some form of, of reporting obligation. You know in, in in some way, shape, or form. So, um, so it's really up to our, our imagination. But the, effectively, the tooling, the platform is there now that allows the industry to collaborate on those projects, and that's really the, the key message. You know, this, this DRR program is um, it's, it's it's not an ME refit, or it's not a CDE, or it's not a CFTC uh, project. Uh, it's really a, a, a fundamental change in the way the industry can approach those programs. Yeah, it's a it's a reporting. A reporting project and like we were saying earlier it's not going to be a one and done thing like you were just saying it's not just a mere refit it's you know and when the next iteration of a mirror comes along which it probably will um the amount of time that goes into making all these changes should be re really uh, quiet. I, another thing on the ESMO website I saw today was a bunch of Q and A's. I can't remember if it was Amir or Mifir, but you know these things, all these tweaks and reinterpretations come out. And it's something you have to constantly be looking at. It, it, it's it, yeah, never a dull moment. Anyway, PJ, why don't you? Uh, oh, let me just say one last thing. So I agree with that completely. What I would also say is that what this now gives us is a test harness. So in future, what I'd like the regulators to do is to tell us what they would like to do, draft up some regulations. We would then run them through the CDM to show them what the outputs would look like. Such, we can then point, have yeah. a material conversation with the regulator about the impact of new regulation or regulatory change so that in, in, we will reduce the unintended consequences of new regulation. I think, you know, and I wanted to summarize on that as well, which is it, it took us 20 years to screw up reporting this bad. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are so many different strands to the complex quilt of, of data that is, is reported out to uh, regulators. It's very, very hard to rationalize now. But something like CDM becomes fundamental, and 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 fun. And once you start with a market or a series of markets, you can then start piecing it all back together again. I, I look at this as transparency 2.0. We didn't know what we didn't know about how to do this a decade ago. We now know what we're trying to get to. We're figuring it out, but it's going to probably take us to transparency 3.0, which I hope is a hell a hell of a lot less than a decade away. And and you know the key for me is 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 really making sure that. You know, we get the trade associations aligned with the standards bodies and the regulators. That that holy trinity, uh, you know, if we can get that balance right, 
we'll see this thing really take off and accelerate and, and you know in, in a matter of two or three years we'll be in an entirely different digital space amazing fantastic so should we wrap it up well, I think we have to, Rachel. It's been, it's been a fantastic 50 minutes. Thank you very, very much for taking the ball on this one. Um, I, I think it, you know, My pleasure. There's plenty of back episodes to listen to now. We've got over 700 listeners on our way to 1,000. A couple more episodes coming up. Uh, please uh, remember to subscribe because you'll you know, find its way right, right to your platform wherever you listen to these uh, podcasts or, or uh, even on YouTube now. So th thanks very much uh, all for, for listening in, and we'll be in touch soon. You can download the podcast via Spotify, Apple and Google, but also I'd encourage people to come to the JWG website, which as hopefully you will know is jwg-it.eu. Go to the Intelligence Hub and create your bespoke library. This is Redcast, where we shine a light on banking digitization. 